This is episode 175 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, The Basics of Performance Management. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. Today we're going to be talking about the basics of performance management, which should be a big part of your job if you have people reporting to you. So this is a follow-on to the episode that we posted last week about the basics of management. And I said at the time that we would talk later about performance management because it's fairly complicated and merits an episode all on its own. Just to lay out how this should work, if someone is reporting to you, that should be on paper and also unofficially. It should be known that that person only has one boss and that boss is you. This gets confused all the time in organizations and you have these dotted lines and confusion And that's all bad, in my opinion. It should be super clear because that way there's no confusion on the part of the employee about who they take orders from, who will uh, be doing their performance appraisals, and ultimately also who is responsible for their pay. That's in an ideal situation. So ideally, you should be determining that person's day-to-day work You should be writing their performance appraisals, and you should be responsible within a range and, you know, within the context of the organization for their compensation, so their bonuses and their salary. So in order to do that, that means that a number of things have to be in place. Most fundamentally, you have to know what they're up to. You have to know what their work is and how they're handling it. And even if you're far away from them geographically or even organizationally, you should be able to keep up on their lives, uh, particularly their the, any problems that they might be having. And I wrote a blog post a few years ago and had commented in there, which I'd forgotten until I reviewed it for this episode, about how many managers I encounter who seem to come up with all these excuses about why they can't meet with their employees. And I get it, right? It's hard. It's hard to impose yourself on somebody else. It's hard to keep up with somebody else. Often it's socially awkward. We can come up with lots and lots of reasons about why we don't meet with our employees, but it is critical and it is mandatory, I would say. So don't be that person. You do have to make appointments to check in with your employee, show them that you you care, that you're interested, and that will help establish a relationship so that going forward it isn't awkward. And also, you know, it's a way for this management uh, relationship to work so that you are aware of the hurdles 
that they are facing and how you can provide help to them. And they know that they can turn to you for resources, support, advice, all kinds of things that they need a boss for in an organization where they may not have a lot of power themselves. So first off is that you have to meet regularly with your employees. And the next thing is that you have to be willing to talk about performance. And that, of course, is another thing that we avoid like the plague because it's often difficult and sometimes it means that you have to be the bearer of bad news when someone has complained about your employee's performance or you yourself have noticed some shortcomings. So we all prefer to avoid those kinds of difficult conversations. And I've had this experience so many times in my professional career where managers and employees will meet together. They never, ever talk about performance. The employee is constantly wondering, well, how am I doing? You know, am I about to get fired? Am I okay? Are people talking about me behind my back? And so they end up being super sensitive to anything that happens because that's an indication of how somebody is perceiving their performance. And you as a manager are avoiding this conversation often because there's something that you're avoiding talking about that isn't particularly pleasant. And you know what? You're just going to have to grab the bull by the horns and address the elephant in the room and make it so it's a routine part of your conversation. And I have an extraordinary tool for you to use that will make that so much easier. But first, address the fact that as a manager, you are responsible for your employees' performance. And that means that you're going to have to bring them in on the conversation and understand what challenges they have, why a conversation they had with a peer went sideways, you know, all the different things that can happen behind the scenes that affect performance. And that is your job right? When you have a poorly performing employee, that's your fault. And we'll talk in a few minutes about the steps that you can take for that. But first, I want to have a happy talk about a tool that you can use that will really help these conversations and that will really make it easier to evaluate someone's performance and make sure that it's fair and documented and relatively objective. First, let's just talk about being the boss. And some of these ideas that I have here are from that article that I wrote and also from my book, The Discreet Guide for Executive Women, which also has some information about general management, as well as the book that I used for some of the discussion in last week's episode, What's a Guy to Do? And those two books talk a lot about gender issues, but they also address just general management principles. And so let's talk first just about being a boss. And sometimes that word boss is used in a pejorative way uh, with good reason, because as a boss, you have power and you can abuse that power or you can use it for good. And let's assume here that you want to be a good boss and you want to use the power that you have for good for your employee and also for your company. So you first have to recognize that as your employee's boss, you are probably the most important person in their professional life because you make so many decisions that affect them. You have power over their day-to-day work, 
over their performance reviews, and ultimately over their compensation, which is why they work, in case you've uh, forgotten that part. So as this most important person in your employee's life, we know that often employees quit their jobs simply because they didn't like their boss. And that's really sad, right? There should be a whole range of factors that go into making such an important decision as that. But often a boss is just so terrible that people can't stand working for that person anymore, and so they quit. Studies vary, but it does appear as though a lot of people leave their jobs because of their boss. And what a shame that is. And so you don't want to be a factor in that, right? And if anything, you want to be the reason that somebody stays with an organization and stays with their job because they really like you as their boss. So you have to recognize how important you are and communicate that to your employee, that you care about them, you're interested in them, that your door is always open, that they can phone you with their problems, that you are there to support them and serve them. At some point, we'll talk about servant leadership. And I think that idea has been carried a little bit too far when they talk about servant leadership. But there is definitely some truth to the idea that you are there to help your employee. And so they should know that. So meeting often with them and regularly with them is super important. At least check in with them every few days, if not more frequently, if it's not daily. Make sure that at least once a week you've got a good phone conversation, even if it's just, you know, a few minutes to check in, say, hey, how's it going? Wanted to see how your week was going and so forth. And now with all this uh, build up to it, I want to talk about this tool that you can use. And that is that once a month you can meet formally with your employee and they need to bring something to that meeting. And that thing is their monthly report. And this tool is quite simple. So you don't have to pay a lot of money for it, which a a lot of the fancy management tools just want to get money out of you. This one's not going to cost you a lot of money. Your employee can start with just a blank piece of paper. And at the top, it should have what their accomplishments have been for that month by bullet point. And in the lower part of the page, it should have what their objectives are for the next month or the next few months, again, in bullet point format. I insisted that this monthly report be constrained to one page, so no longer than one page. I did get some reports that were in a fairly small font, but generally, you know, employees get it. This is a bullet point list, right? We're not trying to write down every little thing that that has to happen, and it's usually more than enough room. So things that up here on the lower part of the report as objectives, in theory, should then be moved up in the next month's report as to accomplishments. And this gives you a great way to see whether or not things are kind of stalling out down there in the objective section. And there are all kinds of reasons for it, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Sometimes it's just procrastination. 
And you have to break it down into smaller steps so that you you know how it is when you're trying to work on something that's fairly complicated. Sometimes it's hard to get the momentum up to get to it, right? But if you break it down into smaller tasks, it's sort of like you know eating an elephant one bite at a time. Then you can get started on it, and once you have a little momentum, you can keep going. A lot of times things will show up on the accomplishments list that were never uh, anticipated as an objective. And that's great, right? It means that your employee is responding to needs. So often the accomplishments list will be fairly lengthy, and the objectives for the next month or the next few months will be fairly short. You know, So maybe it'll be something like two-thirds of a page for accomplishments and a third of the page for objectives, something like that, right? I mean, it completely depends on how significant each of those accomplishments are. And then here's the beauty of it, is that as you work through those together with your employee, you go through each bullet and you can talk about, you can get a little bit of information and background about those accomplishments. Often stuff will show up in the accomplishments that you weren't even aware that your employee was working on. And that's great, right? That's education for you. Sometimes there are things that showing up on the accomplishments side that you did hear about, maybe in kind of a bad way. And so it's a chance for you to provide some feedback about that. You can always compliment your employee for having accomplished something, but sometimes it wasn't done in quite the way that you would have recommended or often that the employee would have preferred in retrospect. So it gives you a chance to give a little bit of feedback in this informal kind of casual way. We're not talking about performance appraisals here. You know, this isn't like a talking to where something's going to be written up and put in their folder. It's just a chance to say, hey, you know, here, here's a way you could have handled that a little bit differently. Or if you had done it in this way first, talking to the, this person before you talk to that person, or if you hadn't been quite so emotional, or, you know, all the little things that really make things flow more smoothly at work. It's a way for you to uh, give some feedback, but also give some advice and help your employee understand that you're on their side and that you want them to accomplish these things in the best way for them. It's also a chance for you to provide input on the person's objectives going forward. Maybe you see something on the list that, ah, turns out things have changed that isn't quite what you want them to be working on now. And some other things may have risen to the fore that now have to be added to the list. So you have this kind of nice opportunity to collaborate on what the employee will be working on for the next month or so and make sure that the that both of you are on the same page, so to speak. So it's a great way of indicating your interest and feedback and also input going forward by using this report. So as you sit there and go through this report with your employee, you can make notes in the margin for yourself, either on the computer or in pencil uh, sitting there, and then keep that report. So at the end of the year, you should have 12 of these reports filled with your notes that indicate all the stuff that the employee worked on, the feedback that you provided, and whether or not things that were on the objectives list or the goals list actually got accomplished or not. And this makes such a big difference when you go to write their performance appraisal. 
because you have the whole year laid out in front of you. You don't have to rack your brain about what they did well or not so well. It's all laid out there, including all your notes in the margins. And so it's really much more fair to do it that way because then you're not overly influenced by something that just happened. Right, we've all had that experience of going to write a performance appraisal, and all we can think about is something that happened in the last month, and we've totally forgotten the really great thing that they did, you know, 10 months ago. So that's really great, and here's the additional benefit of it. It super helps your employee, too, when they go to write their self-evaluation. They also don't have to go back through their calendar. They can just pull out those 12 reports, and presto, they're... Self-evaluation practically writes itself, and the two of you have a shared understanding of what happened, right, because you've worked through it together, and you've exchanged information, and so both of you are, again, kind of on the same page about what occurred that year. Couple more comments about writing the performance appraisal. Uh, try and make it positive, right? I mean, even when there are shortcomings that you're ha- having to report about, even if there was kind of a pattern of behavior over the past year that you wish weren't there, try and be forward looking and help yourself and also your employee understand that this is something that can be remedied. It's a matter of identifying it and then training for it. So really all of the performance appraisal, even when there are shortcomings and weaknesses that are being brought to the fore, that it's just an opportunity to make things better and for the employee to get stronger and to grow and contribute more. So if you can have this really positive attitude toward the performance evaluation, that will be conveyed to your employee too, so they won't sit up the night before gnawing on their fingernails, totally nervous about the performance appraisal once it does become this more formal document, right? I also think it takes a lot of the sting out of it if you've already talked about it a few months back. And so if there was an incident that went wrong, And you can say, you know, we talked about this at the time, just refresh their memory about what happened. Now it's documented in the performance appraisal, but there's not a big gotcha to it, right? They they knew that was probably coming since it had come up before. So again, that can really be, you know, not a big, dramatic, hysterical event, uh, but something, you know, fairly straightforward. And there's no surprises, no gotcha to it couple more things about performance appraisals. Be sure and do them on time. Your employee will be very aware if the performance appraisal is slipping and slipping and the timeline is slipping. It just sends a terrible message when you apparently don't have the interest or the time to complete their performance appraisal or you're hiding something and you don't want them to know about it. So try and take all that trauma and drama around the performance appraisals out of the picture. So it's a fairly straightforward event. It should be objective, shouldn't be personal, and it should be really for the good of everyone, for you as a manager and for your employee and for the company. So I could keep on uh, talking about the advantages of this monthly report, but I'll stop there. If you start to use it, you'll see how well it works, especially over a number of years. It really does build a wonderful history 
of a person's professional accomplishments and how they grow in their job and how you assisted them in that. It's really lovely to have that kind of record keeping. It's also simple. So a lot of performance evaluation forms now that HR departments have purchased from various consultants have become just crazily complex and very hard to complete, and they're a pain in the neck, and that's why we all procrastinate. Try and get all the nonsense out of it, right? Try and use the forms for your employees' benefit, because that's really ultimately who it's for. And so you try and take out all that razzmatazz that they put in there and really boil it down to its core. Sometimes that means really being more careful about the text, the the places in the evaluation where you get to actually write free form about the employee. That is what they will focus on and, and pay attention to. And so that's really where you can communicate your best wishes, your pride in their work, your compliments about how well they've done, and also add in, you know, very kindly for their benefit areas that you think they could continue to work on. So try and make the tool work for you. And I know it's a challenge now with a lot of these forms. If you're on the committee or if you have a senior role and can influence the forms that the personnel evaluations take, try and make them simple. Try and get out all the hocus pocus and all the stuff that people want to stuff in there. So really, you know, it can be used as a tool between the employee and the manager because that really is what it should be used for. A couple more things. It really is fair to talk on those evaluations about things that we sometimes hesitate to talk about. And I finally just realized partway through my career that really being cordial to your coworkers is simply part of your job. And so you have to be polite and supportive and respectful. Uh, you can't be hostile or insubordinate or have bad attitudes and talk back, all that kind of stuff. So those things definitely have a place in the performance evaluation. Don't shy away from including those things too. And I, as I said, I really do prefer for them to really be short, if you can, no more than three pages, if it's possible. But I know in this day and age, that's, uh, that's really tough. All right, let's talk about performance improvement here in my last few minutes. One of the most common complaints that employees have is that their company won't deal with poor performers. And it is very aggravating. You've probably been in that situation, too, where for some reason everybody just seems to shy away from a person who doesn't do a good job and makes other people's jobs more difficult. Sometimes it's so bad that practically everyone in the company knows what this one person does that's really bad, and no one has told the actual individual person. So everyone on the senior leadership team might know that this person has a temper problem or somebody else is a total nitpicker and micromanager, and yet nobody's ever told the employee that. So don't be that manager, right? You really do have to address the hard issue are hard issues with your employees. I know it's not easy, but that's what makes a good manager is being willing to do that. If you find yourself in a situation where you have a growing problem, where you've brought it up, you've mentioned it, it's still not being nipped in the bud, and in fact, things are kind of going pear-shaped in other ways, 
Now you have to move into a performance improvement program, so to speak, or scenario. And so the first thing to do with that is to talk to the employee. Various companies will have various processes that they like you to work through, how many verbal warnings, et cetera, et cetera. Sooner or later, you're going to have to write it down. And that can be hard, you know, and that's also a point where you have to check yourself. Is this a real problem or is somebody else picking on your employee and you don't really have much of a ground to stand on? And when you have to actually put it in writing, that's when the rubber hits the road. Uh, But it should be written down and shared with the employee. No secret notes someplace where you're secretly writing stuff down and not sharing it with them. Has to be shared with them. They have to be aware that they are, they've kind of been put on warning here. I think it's also really fair to say, let's meet about this again and then set a time to do that. Maybe not too far in the future, but also not the next day, right? But there's some reasonable amount of time for there to have been some developments or for the employee to think about what caused that situation to arise and even say, you know, here's where you could help me because I'm struggling with this and and I know that this is reflecting poorly on me, but I need help here. So if you set up the date for the follow-up meeting, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, don't skip that date, right? You do have to follow up with them and you don't want to send a poor message that you don't care about this. And that's often what happens, right? These things get brought up, then they kind of get swept under the rug, and then it's not clear to the employee, was this a real thing or not a real thing? We have to talk about how this process plays into potential terminations. I'm kind of of two minds about this. If you've given a couple of verbal warnings, you've had some written documentation of some reprimands for the employee, The implication really is, if this doesn't get fixed, you will have to leave. I think there might be some other options, like you might get reassigned, or there might be other things that could occur, depending on the circumstances, but it does have to have some teeth in it. The problem is, I think often we go into this process already leaping ahead in our minds to getting rid of the person. And it's really not fair. It's really not giving the employee an opportunity to fix something. And if we're already scheming behind their backs about, you know, how we're going to solve the problem after we've gotten rid of them, it's really not negotiating in good faith. And so it's not giving the process an opportunity to work its magic, which really should be that there's a problem We've indicated that it's serious and the problem gets fixed. And I think often employees react very badly if you turn on them kind of out of the blue as often happens and are like, this thing happens. If it happens again, we're going to fire you. I think just human nature, we just resent that kind of threat. So you really have to be careful in this situation that it doesn't backfire, and you end up having to get rid of someone really for something fairly minor, but because nobody has a way to fall back and save face through that process. So really be very careful as you go into this. Know exactly what needs to happen at each step, and really you have to be on the side of the employee which can be very difficult in an organization where other people who are peripheral to the situation are already writing that person off or taking all kinds of steps. 
This can be a very difficult situation, and so I don't want to try and simplify it too much here on the podcast. If you can protect your employee from other people who may be trying to get rid of them, perhaps for not good reasons, you know, more more power to you. But it can be very tricky when someone has decided that someone who works for you has just got to go. So, you know, try and do your best to educate people about what good management looks like and employee improvement processes. Try and do your best to have these processes work out the best that they can. If you do decide to get rid of someone, do make sure that it's done in a way that you have previously explained that it would occur. So you don't suddenly pull the rug out from under them and suddenly fire them well before you've allowed the process a chance to play out. Don't suddenly eliminate their position uh, because of pressure from somebody else. You know, that's a cop-out. If they're already in a performance improvement process, they'll know that that was sketchy. Don't behave as though you're only notifying the employee of something and then suddenly turn around because of public pressure and fire them. All of those things are likely to lead to a lawsuit. And we've seen this play out even with big, you would think, very well-run companies like Google. It also means it's going to be a real challenge to cope with the attorneys because they have a different idea about how these types of processes should work. And often you will find yourself at odds with them when they really want to turn this performance improvement process on its head and run it in a different way because their only concern is protecting you from a lawsuit. And that isn't necessarily a good management attitude to have towards your employee. All of this stuff is super hard and super tricky, but none of it excuses you from dealing with an employee who is exhibiting some behaviors that shouldn't be accepted in the workplace. If you do decide to lay somebody off, please try and be as respectful as you possibly can. So if you've decided that you are going to let them go, do it as soon as possible. Don't let it drag out for a week or two weeks while rumors fly around and the poor employee is beside himself with anxiety and anger. Uh, So do bring them in, make it quick, uh, be very respectful, always thank them for the work that they've done. If you can possibly avoid it, don't have security. Walk them out. You know, do it yourself. Let them leave with their head held high. Don't make a spectacle of them. So awful when companies do that. And then afterwards, don't badmouth the employee. I would say, if anything, always comment positively about what they brought to the organization. Try and use phrases that are expressive of what went wrong, that it was time for that person in the organization to part ways, but always be respectful and appreciative of the work that they did for you, because it really was important to acknowledge that they worked for you for a long time. They put their shoulder to the grindstone, and that was really to your benefit. And then lastly, 
when someone does leave of their own accord, I'm just going to do this in the last minute or so here, I do try and get information from people who leave voluntarily about why. That can be very, very revealing about problems that you have in your organization. And it's astonishing how companies let an opportunity like that go by. I think sometimes they don't want to know, right? So you're just going to have to be, you know, a little tougher than that and be the adult and find out why people are leaving, even if it means contacting them later when they're safe, right, and there's not going to be any retaliation, to really understand why people left your organization. Bringing down your turnover rates is really important for morale and also financial reasons. So don't waste an opportunity to find out why people are leaving your organization. Uh, So lastly, I'll just say good luck. I know none of this is easy, uh, but do go at it with uh, kindness and a level head and try and look at the situation from multiple perspectives and you'll get through it okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the pandemic isn't really over, but it seems as though we've moved into a different phase where our lives have a bit more normalcy. As a result, we're adjusting the format of the show back to fewer, more lengthy episodes airing on Tuesday and Friday, and sometimes on Sunday, since those Sunday literary episodes have been very popular. Speaking of which, our downloads have exploded during the pandemic, so thank you for your patronage. If you like what we do, you can support the show through our Patreon page. Another way to support us, which doesn't cost anything, is to follow us or like us on Podomatic.com, and that will help us increase our visibility. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a comment about who you are, what you like, or if you have a comment about the show. And finally, I also run a professional training company for people who want to advance in their careers with courses on communication skills, executive presence, and accent reduction. You can find out more at discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-G-U-I-D-E. Please take care and let's talk again soon.